Greetings, adventure. Welcome to the D20 Academy podcast. I'm Shiloh. And I'm Gabriel. And this week is episode 48, Explorer's Guide to Wild Mountain Review. Part 1? Maybe? Maybe? <laughs> Uh, welcome to this week's episode. This is an exciting one. This is part one of our two-part review of um, the new D&D book, Explorer's Guide to Wild Yep, it is going to be a fun one. We have a lot of things to talk about here. And part two is going to be posted next week, hopefully. Uh, before we get into it, just want to quickly shout out our Instagram, at d20academy. We also have a YouTube channel where we are slowly uploading our episodes. Uh, we've up to episode 30 on there now, so that's your preferred platform you can check us out there and the same name uh we also have a discord server which you can get into to ask us questions comments concerns anything just talk to us because you're lonely uh and you can get into that just by messaging us on instagram or whatever yeah uh cool little announcement you guys it's the uh one year anniversary um of podcast guys uh if you've been with us for for since the beginning or for a long while thank you so much for sticking with us it's been quite a journey um it's definitely changed a lot from when we first started which i was uploading 20 minute episodes every single day by myself um thank god we're not doing that anymore um and that i have someone to talk to now instead of just talking to myself um yeah and i have someone to talk to it's, it's been a while Wait what? Yeah, and it, it's just wait what? <laughs> um, it's 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 been a it's been a blast, you guys. Um, and we also have another kind of announcement. I'm pregnant. Yes, you guys. Gabe is finally pregnant. It's been a long time coming. We've been trying to make it happen for a while. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, okay. Oh. Sorry, I know you want to listen to the episode. No, we do have another cool announcement. Wait till the very end of the episode. Mm-hmm. We have a really cool thing. Uh, we're we're going to announce uh, some cool stuff for the future of the podcast um, that we're really excited about. Yeah. Without further ado. Chapter Zero. Welcome to Wildmount. That was nice. Section One. General slash summary. Oh, this is super off topic, but they're doing a bunch of celebrities are reading books now. Um, yeah. For uh, our entertainment while we're in quarantine, um, so they're doing one for Harry Potter, and Daniel Radcliffe read the first chapter of the first book, which was one of the best things my ears have ever experienced. Um, what a what a great man! But also second only to that intro right there. Second actually. only to that, other than his beautiful reading voice. Um. Also, Andy Serkis read the entire Hobbit in one sitting. Mm-hmm. And live-streamed it. It was pretty cool. Um, I didn't understand anything he was saying, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is up a lot of reasons. Audio wasn't perfect. He had already been reading for seven hours. Um, you know. <laughs> it's fine. It was very... It's cool, though. Man. Imagine, like, speaking out loud for however many hours, maybe, like, 11 or something. Yeah, I have to drink, just, like, like, speaking out I, loud constantly for that long. Yeah, I go through, like, three bottles just recording a single podcast episode, because uh, <laughs> my mouth keeps getting dry. Um, that was super random. Anyway, guys, today we're talking about The Explorer's Guide to Wild. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, All right, so it starts off basically just like your typical intro. Welcome to Wildmount. It basically describes what it is. So if you don't know what it is, it's a new D&D setting, uh, official D&D setting made by Matthew it's Mercer. That's Matthew just, Mercer. That's just crazy. Yeah, that's just crazy. it is pretty crazy how far it's come. Mm -hmm. And it is a diverse landscape, several different regions, a lot of different powers vying for control. Yeah, I'm gonna get into each individual thing like later, mm -hmm. uh, but there's a lot to go through here. There's a yeah. lot of information in this book. There is a ton of information. This thing's like over a little over 300 pages, mm -hmm. which is I think a perfect length. I think it really is a really good length. Uh, let's go over the the chapters real quick. Uh, it's split into seven different chapters. Uh, seven. And also has like I don't know like 20 maps in it. Also, by the way, which is awesome. Uh, um, yeah, there's, there's so much cool stuff in here. So, mm -hmm. chapter zero, well, it's not called chapter zero, but basically there's a little intro, um, talking about what the book is about and the basics of the setting. Um, then we got chapter one, all the history of the wild mount is obviously the world. Um, and then the pantheon, so all the gods and stuff. Then we have chapter two, which goes over the factions and societies and... Obviously, what they're about, their rules, and stuff like that. Chapter 3 is the Gazetteer, which basically, like, details more about, like, the world, what happens in each different region, like, yeah. the different cities and towns and places yeah. like that. And it's, like, literally then, a third of the book. Like, almost, yeah, it's crazy. almost like, it's... exactly a third of the book. <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, then we have chapter 4, which is character options. So, like, your races that are allowed in the... They're typical yeah. in the uh, continent. Uh, some uh, things that they add new, where they add like a different. It's kind of like a racist. But it's a little bit weird. It's called the hollowed one. Yeah, so, that Mercer yeah. loves his weird thing. He's he's created a couple like weird things. I don't even know what to mm -hmm. describe it. It's not a race. It's not a feat. It's not a class. It's like a thing. Yeah. That you because he did like the lingering soul. I don't know if you remember that. Which was like a yeah. thing oh, that yeah, had to yeah. do with like death. This might be like the new lingering soul, because it's, it might the, concept, well be. the concept's kind of similar. But it's like uh -huh. a thing. We'll we'll talk we'll talk we'll talk about it. we'll talk, when we get it's there. It's a thing. We'll talk about <laughs> it when we get there. And then it also details the new subclasses that come with the book, yeah. uh, based around dunamancy, which is like this new, not type of magic or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's a school of magic. I think I think sure. I think it's with like magic. based around like gravity and time and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then it introduces this great thing called Heroic Chronicle, and we'll get into that yeah. later. It's a great, yeah, great thing that they implemented into this book that helps players build their own characters for the setting. Yeah. And then Chapter 5 goes over some adventures. We're going to briefly talk about the adventures yeah. in there um, and how they're laid out and whether we like them or not. Yep. Uh, so there are four adventures that come with it, and they all um, take characters from first to third level. I would have liked one to go from third to fifth or something like that. Um, but it's cool. There's four. Uh, we haven't looked at all of them because some of us might want to run them. <laughs> uh, and so we don't want to spoil it uh, for for each other. But um, we've both read through a lot of uh, diff uh, different adventures. So we, we kind of know how it's laid out and stuff. So we'll talk about those. Chapter six is all the new treasures and magic items. Really dope. <laughs> Really dope. 
Um, and then chapter seven is the bestiary with all the new mm-hmm. uh, monster stat blocks. Oh, and after that, this is crazy. And the glossary. And then the index. And then the index, you guys. It's for it's. They're going Honestly, high level. They're really going high level. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we're going to kind of look at this book in, in a certain number of ways. I mean, one thing I want to look at is like, you know, how is this as a campaign setting? You know, not just as a world, but as a setting for a and d game. Right? And like, how do you implement that? And what are its themes? What makes this world fresh and compelling? Um, you know, what kind of adventures kind of fit into this world? What kind of campaigns work in this world? Um, and then kind of comparing it to other campaign settings. Honestly, there has not been a lot of campaign settings really released for 5th edition. Uh, the one I am most familiar with is Ravnica. Um, I did reviews on that book earlier on in the podcast. Um, but Ten years ago, give or take. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. By the way, you guys, this is insane. Um, I, th- I believe this is the one-year anniversary of the podcast. Oh, wow. So... Yeah, forget about the part one, part two. This is actually just going to be an eight-hour marathon this is an, podcast. So if this one goes two hours, actually, we you guys deserve it. You know, I really, <laughs> I should probably, we should have put this in the intro. I just totally forgot. Um, wow. This is a one-year anniversary of the podcast, which is cool. Wow. Okay, that's dope. So also, that's a thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to do something too crazy uh, until 50, episode 50, which is going to be in two weeks. Maybe we'll do yep. something crazier. But and then it, after episode 50, we basically, like, prestige, like, this is Call of Duty, and then we do all the same things over and over again. <laughs> like, we do the same 50 episodes, but yeah. we do them better. We do them better, you know? yeah. And they take longer. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, but it's cool, by the way. Today is the thing. Anywho. Um, Ra- <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to be rep- uh, comparing it a lot to Ravnica. If you haven't read it or you don't know anything about it, I'm going to talk about it in give you a general rundown but if you do want more details we did do uh podcast episodes of that i believe it's like 26 and 27 or something like that okay all right also let's get right into, into the, the news book. oh mad mercer um has written a great preface by the way mm. it's very nice but irrelevant okay gabe oh i mean like it's nice like seeing like his background like where he come from and all the things that lead up to him making this book it's yeah. nice seeing that journey yeah and and just him talking about critical role and like what it's become and stuff if you're a fan of it it's a really nice heartwarming preface um mm-hmm. from a great man okay so before we jump into chapter one there's the weird chapter zero thing called welcome to wild mount it's like a session zero yeah like it's like yeah. the session zero that's uh, that's what they should have called it all right <laughs> All right, I'm going to call him up right now, and he has to change it. Matt, you're mm-hmm. wrong. Uh, okay. What, 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 is, what, is this, what is this part about here? What do we got here? All right. So first it goes over describing that it is a new D&D setting uh, from Critical Role, which I've already said before. And basically it says that like, if you're a dungeon master, dungeon master, this book will help you create a D&D campaign. If you're a player, it can help you... Like, build a character for that campaign, get new ideas for characters, new subclasses, and things like that. Yeah. And then it goes into, briefly, it goes into the different nations of Wildmount. Mm-hmm. Because Wildmount is the continent here. And I'll just briefly say the names, and we'll get into them perhaps in more detail. So there's the Dwendalian Empire, the Clovis Concord, the tribes of Sh- Shady Creek Run. I always want to say Shadow. 
I, I don't know. Okay. I'm the Trabs of Trabs. The Trabs Trab. of Shadow Creek. The Trabs of Shadow Creek Road. Then the Kryn Dynasty. The Kryn Dynasty. Um. No, not not Korean. Not Korean. Oh, sorry. Kryn. Yeah. Kryn. Yeah. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Then he goes over a brief description of the chapters, but then he explains uh war. war. There's literally a whole section called war. With an, with an exclamation with point. With an exclamation point. War! So basically, there's this big war going on in the continent when this setting is set. Yeah. And it says, like, this is a big thing that's going on, but you can change how big it is for the campaign yeah. based on your own personal preferences. You know, like, whether you want it to be up front and center, where it's an integral part of the campaign, and players are interacting and doing a lot with it, whether it's in the background and the players are just dealing with the consequences of the war without being directly influencing or being directly influenced by it. Or perhaps you just want to completely forget about the war. You know, you can write it out. There's a lot of things that he leaves up to personal preference and how you want to do things for you, for your campaign, yeah. for your players. Yeah. Um, so, by the way, this first section here, this chapter session zero thing, is my favorite part of the whole book. This is the greatest way you can open up a campaign setting, and here's why. Um, rewinding a bit, um, I'm going to talk about the war section in a second, but rewinding a bit, you know, he real quick talks about Critical Role and, and the setting, and kind of goes with the, the real quick basics of the setting. Then he goes into the nations, like we said, the Dominion Empire, the Clovis Concord, all that kind of stuff. Within each of these little two-paragraph descriptions of each of these different nations, he explains what campaigns are like focused on this nation, and what mm -hmm. kind of adventures you might have. Right, so in the Dominion Empire... Has probably going to have a campaign has lots to do with the war because they're in a war with the Kryn Dynasty, or political intrigue. It's probably going to have to do with uh, the secrets of this uh, order, this like secret order called the Cerberus Assembly, and like all that kind of stuff. You you want to campaigns focusing on the Clovis Concord, which are like a bunch of nations that live on like on the beach who are not connected to the war. Probably have to do with like treasure hunting, adventures on the high seas, that kind of stuff. Ones in this nation, then he goes through little, just briefly talks about how campaigns and adventures might be set in each of these areas and each of these nations. That is perfect. Because I don't want to read the 100-page section of the Gazetteer, where it details every single city and village or whatever. I don't want to do that yet. I just want a simple, brief description. What am I getting into? What can I expect? You know... Do, oh, like, that interests me? Political intrigue in interests me? I'm just going to go real quick read this section just on that area so I can start building my campaign from there instead of, like, you know, reading the whole book, if that makes sense. Yeah. I like this theme that is consistent throughout the book of when they're talking about a specific place or specific group. It details, like, how would a campaign work in this group, in this setting, in this yeah. place? How would the players be if they grew up in this place, had a background in this place? When we get onto later into the player options, it has like for each different race, like how they're viewed yes. in each of the different yes. areas. It's so great. It's, it's so great. It's, 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 it's amazing. And what I was saying at the beginning is like, you know, how we are supposed to look at a campaign setting. And one of the things I said was it as a D&D &D setting, right? A place where you play D&D &D games, right? Not just a cool fantasy world. You have to look at these books as, you know, playing a campaign in them because that's what they're for, you know? And all, so far at least in the beginning of the book, it's killing it already by really mm -hmm. just being very thorough and obvious and explaining how campaigns work in this setting 
and he's not jumping into the details of all his cool new magic things or whatever. That, those are kind of irrelevant for now. At the beginning, he's just talking about the different adventures that kind of, you know, he, get, he explains to you what the campaign will feel like, what kinds of adventures fit into what places, and that's just, that's just really cool. Um, and then going on to this war, this war section, he gives little options. Once again, this is very short, but he gives little options, like Gabe was saying, on how, you know, intense you want the war to be in your thing, in your campaign. That's just so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's great giving that option and like setting these things up at the start of the book. Like, this is what's going on. There are several different ways that you can deal with it. Yeah. And then like right after that, it goes into like these different adventuring options where. Uh, perhaps you don't want to be directly involved with just like your recruits in the war, so there's a bunch of other things you can do in the world. Like you can deal with the crime that happens because of lax law enforcement. Yeah. Uh, deal with helping towns deal with disaster, helping with law enforcement, joining the military, dealing with you know things that come up because of there's this fantasy war happening in this fantasy world, and there are monsters and things that get like disturbed because of that. Yeah. Or perhaps like. You're helping with merchants, you're dealing with trade, you know, you're traversing difficult and dangerous territory. Yeah. There's so many different things that it just, like, clearly sets, like, okay, here are different things you can do in the world, different adventures and options. Right. Um, and I think another thing that's so powerful, and real he also does a little, um, uh, a little section here on just how to run a war campaign. You know, how to run a campaign centered on war, uh, which, is, which is nice. Uh, they do kind of talk about this as well in the uh, GM's guide. But this is cool. It's it's expanded, um, and it it's pretty helpful. It, it's there's nothing crazy and revelatory about this section. But um, once again, this is a great way to kick off your campaign setting because already you are inspiring GMs. Because in my mind, once again, I don't want to get into the details of the things straight off. But talking about like there's a war going on. That's central kind of to this world, right? First of all, he gives you customizability. How crazy do you want this war to feature? Also, here are a bunch of different aspects, right? Crime, disaster, law, military, that are connected to the war that you can build adventures and stuff around. And that is just straight off just giving you ideas and just giving you inspiration and just really making you understand what this campaign setting is and what it means and, and what it's about, which is really dope. Yep, and then it goes into basically the calendar of the, uh, the world. It lays out the different months. There are 11 months, I believe. It's uh, Weeks are seven-day weeks, over seven months, 328 days a year. And then it lays out per month how many days it has and what holidays are in that month, which yeah. I really like. Mm -hmm. Things like that are adding just like a little bit of like, oh, perhaps I'm going to have this certain event happen on this holiday and the players come across like celebrations and things like that or certain customs, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, oh, I, I just like, love the little details. Like, it throws in this little paragraph about seasons. It's not like super long, not super in depth, yeah. but it lays out for each area of the world, of the continent. Sorry. Yeah. Like, how it deals with the different seasons, how the seasons affect it, and how harsh are they? You know. Yeah, it's it's great. It's just it's small sections, just just enough, just enough mm -hmm. so that you're not scrambling and confused when you're you know you're jamming this world and the players like wait. Like, what day is it? Or whatever, you know, and you're like, oh, frick, I have no idea how things work. But, you know, <laughs> it's not he's not going super crazy and detailed in it. He's just giving you just what you need. And he details a couple of the uh, holidays here. 
Yeah, these are like three like universal holidays that are celebrated throughout the continent. Yeah. It's just a nice little things you can throw in there that are like universal for all the players to know. And then this is the best part. He talks about the moons. The moons. Mm-hmm. Okay, then he talks about... Uh, <laughs> uh, no, literally he has a paragraph on the moon. Um, okay. Yep, there's two moons. Two, actually. It's like he saw Star Wars and he was like, okay, Tatooine, mm. Tatooine's cool. But you know what would be cooler? Two suns? Nah. Two moons. Moons. And he's like, no one's gonna know that I ripped this off of Star Wars. <laughs> I see you, Matt. I see you. No one's ever seen Star Wars. Okay, then he talks about uh, currency. Uh, and a cool, uh, real, really, really cool thing is he talks about the three Eng- uh, human languages. Mm-hmm. And where they come Wait, from. I just want to throw them throw this out there that Electrum is a viable currency. Yeah. Even though it shouldn't exist ever, yeah. please, no. Even though Electrum is stupid and should, should mm-hmm. never have been created. It's in this world for some reason. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, so he details at least the three different uh, human languages, which is cool. Because usually in D&D, it's just like, common. <laughs> but in this one, it's like, there's actually different languages for different, eth- you know, ethnic backgrounds and cultures and stuff, which makes sense. <laughs> okay. Can I just, like, briefly touch on how I hate, like, the... There's, like, this one universal language called common. It's just so dumb to me. I don't know. I don't like it. I mean, I understand why it has to be like that. Oh, yeah. But, sure. It can make sense why it's there. I don't know. It just annoys me rationally. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Okay, then we did a little section just on the level of, te- <laughs> uh, level of technology. Uh, there are there mm-hmm. are very guns, but they're rare. Like flintlock mm-hmm. pistols and stuff. Um, thanks, Percival. All right. And it says you can find them in the Game Master's Guide. Dungeon Master's Guide, sorry. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, you can. Uh, then we get a cool art piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no more details. <laughs> you guys can't see yeah, the art. We can't... You, you're listening to the podcast, you can't see the art. We're just going to say that it, it's dope. No, we could like go pixel by pixel and say, all right, so in pixel, uh, blah, 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 it is this color. Yeah. No, we, we do the color by like pixel the, bo- the color identity would like hashtag zero zero four yeah, yeah, five yeah. C yeah. Okay. Now let's get to chapter one. I've just realized this is definitely getting split into two parts. Okay. Uh that's yeah, we haven't even gotten to the first chapter yet, and we've already been recording for almost half an hour. Okay, chapter one. Whoa. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> The story of Wild Mount. <laughs> All right, so this is going to be another half-hour chapter. No, this is um, going to be quicker. Yeah. All right, so this br- briefly, I say briefly, it goes pretty in-depth uh, on the yeah, history and story of Wild Mount, the, co- the continent as a whole. It goes through the myth of the founding, which is basically how the world was created and started. And civilization was started. Then it goes a lot into the different like ages, uh, yeah, of the continent. You know, there's the founding, obviously. I already said that. Uh, then the age of Arcanum, the calamity. Then it talks about after the calamity. Uh, so basically, it, like details the different points in history, what 
leads up to them, what happens, how the different nations were formed, and then there's this calamity. Uh, it's like basically is a very big event. I'm not going to go super in detail because yeah. there's, there's a lot of detail. Uh, <laughs> it's actually really and it talks, nicely written. That's what yeah. I like to say. Memorist it's really is a cool. Great writer. Uh, it reminded me a lot. Now I'm not comparing it completely. Of myself. I'm not comparing it completely, but I do. It does remind me of the first chapter of the Silmarillion, which is like one of the most beautifully written things in the world. Um, like how uh, Tolkien explains the creation of Middle Earth and stuff. Freaking love that piece of literature, and I got similar vibes. It was kind of poetic, and it it was it's it's just, it's a really it was really nicely written. So mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah, but this world wasn't sung into being, so I don't know yeah. if it, it's just nothing. Not as good. Nothing beats Middle Earth, dude. When you have <laughs> Valar singing the world into creation, that's just kind of the dopest thing. Yeah. Um. Then it breaks down the different like regions of the world, and like starts with Western Weander. I don't know if that's how you say it, but that's how I'm yeah, saying Wynand- it. Yeah, Wynandir, I think. Yeah. Wynandir. Why, Nandir? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me there's a little deer. Mm-hmm. And he's, and he goes, Grandma, can I have a, <laughs> he goes, he goes, Grandma, can I, can I go outside and play with my friends? And she goes, no, little deer. And he goes, why, why man? dear? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Matt Mercer must love us. Mm-hmm. Ruining all his names. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Basically, he just breaks down each uh, region and the history of the regions. Yeah. Really cool. Uh, I really like this piece of art. Which one? The one with Ukotoa? A flying city. Oh, 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 yeah. Um, okay, so real quick, I think we should probably talk about so you get what the heck we're talking about. So, uh, Wildmount is a continent in the world of Exandria. There, mm-hmm. there are some other continents they talk about, like, at the very end of the Gazetteer, I think. Yes. Um, yes. There's Tal'Dorei, which does have its own campaign book. It's not an official D&D campaign book, but it also has its own campaign book. That's Tal'Dorei. And there's other ones, whatever. Um, but, basically, Wildmount is a big continent, and it's split up into basically three different sections. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of split by mountain ranges. Um, so there's... There's Eastern and Western Y, man, deer. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the Menagerie Coast. Yeah, which is, like, in the south. Yeah. So Western Y, man, deer, uh, is d- under the control of the Dwendalian Empire, for the most part. Um, which is one of the big nations in the war. Mm-hmm. Eastern Y, man, deer is, for the most part, under the control of, um, the Kryn Dynasty. Which is the other yep. big nation at war with the Dwendalian Empire, and in the south, Menagerie Coast, coast islands, they're neutral. Yeah, they just don't really care. Yeah, and then at the very top, <laughs> there's like another little. There's some volcanic islands at the top, um, that are like kind of mysterious and not a lot of people know about. Yeah, there are a lot of factions in these different areas. Yeah, wait, are we, are uh, we getting into factions already? What's going on? I don't know, I don't know. I think we should talk about the Pantheon first. True. Alright. Gods. Patrons. Yeah, okay, so here is what is cool. Uh, I really like this. 
So, Matt Mercer, um, when he started his campaign, his very first campaign, uh, back before Critical Role was a thing, which then became Critical Role, I don't think he really had a super big plan on what it would become and stuff. I don't think his world was super in-depth. And when his characters chose gods, like if they were cleric or whatever, I think they he just gave them their classic D&D gods to choose from. Um, so the regular D&D gods of the Forgotten Realms are the same gods in this world. Mm-hmm. But, like, they're, they're kind of different. I mean, not really. They're still the same. Con- like, conceptually, they're the same. And they're, like, the god of the same thing. But he gives them all titles and stuff and makes them a little more unique to his world. One of the things I liked about how he did the gods is he gives a reason why there are the quote-unquote good gods and the quote-unquote bad gods. Right. Uh, there's, like, this event that happens where the gods were, like, making the world and then, like, these primordial beings like, came about and started, like, messing up and creating chaos. And some gods were like, okay, let's just... Let them create chaos, and we will start anew. We'll get to make a new world, whatever. And the other gods were like, "No, we want to keep it. You know, let's help the mortal puny mortals survive." And then the other gods were like, "No," and so created this divide. Yeah. So there's the betrayer gods (laughs) and the prime deities, which are like the good ones. Mm -hmm. And also a thing happened where the prime deities. Took all the gods, the good ones and the bad ones, and yeah. took them up and sealed them behind the divine gate, so that the gods could no longer interact with the world and cause destruction or cause a war. But that means not the good gods nor the evil gods can interact with the world. So it's like a, um, you know, it's like a trade-off. Like yeah, the mm-hmm. evil gods aren't going to be in the world and try to kill everybody, but that means the good gods can't also come down and help out. So that that's cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. And breaking down each individual god lays out like their name, their title, what they're about, how they're described, if they have like a, a holy day or something where they're especially worshipped or you know celebrated, yeah. and then goes through like their commandments, like the commandments that they issue towards their followers, towards people who want to follow them, yeah. uh, what they're commanded to do. Basically, like it's very similar to the tenets of the Paladin yeah. Oaths. Um, and then, yeah, so it goes... Little table of each of them, their alignment, their province or their domain. Uh, no, no, sorry. Their province is like uh, the detail of like what they're the god of. Then their domain, uh, for like if you're a cleric and you know, whether it's life or light or mm-hmm. trickery or war, whatever. And then their symbol, like the that classic god tables in the end, at the back of the player's hand. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Rail the Everlight, which is definitely not Saren Ray. Definitely not Saren Ray that he changed the name of. Mm hmm. The symbol doesn't look like Saren Rays at all. Nothing. I would say nothing mm. like, actually. Mm. I Completely mean, different, actually. Literally not and isn't. Okay, what is funny, because he <laughs> gives each god a title, right? So usually each god has a cool fantasy name, like Avandra or Paylor or Ayun or whatever. And then they have a cool title, right? like Paylor the Dawnfather, Mord in the Allhammer. But what's, what, what, the one place where this crumbles a little bit is that one of the gods' names is literally the Raven Queen, which sounds like a title, but that's actually her name. So she has a name and a title like everyone else, but it just sounds like two titles. The Raven Queen, the Matron of Death. That was... I didn't need to say that. 
Nobody cares. Man, must have sucked being your substitute teacher. <laughs> uh, that was random. Okay, but then Betrayer Gods, <laughs> which are the evil ones. Mm -hmm. Asmodeus, the Lord of the Nine Hells. Yeah, so these are also, once again, just pulled from Forgotten Realm Gods. So there's Groomsh, the Asmodeus is such a fantasy name. Yeah, can we just all just applaud Asmodeus? Just the name. <laughs> what a great name for the Lord of the Nine Hells. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's Loth, the Drow, Spider King. I want to quickly go over his commandments. His first one is Assert Dominance, so T-Pose. No way. That's actually true? Oh my god. Assert, assert dominance. dominance and power over others. Show your strength of will wow. in the image of Asmodeus. It's just, it's like, Asmodeus' cult is coming. <laughs> it's just a bunch of 12-year-old boys T-Posing. T-Posing and, and walking. Singing, <laughs> singing the Halo theme song. And they're just all... <laughs> um, but like Tiamat, Vecna, they're all here. Mm -hmm. uh, I think some of these he might have made up. I'm not sure. Um, like Zahir, that might be him. But I think the rest are classic Forgotten Realms. I'm not sure. But they have their commandments and everything. And also, pff, way cooler symbols. Um, Vecna's one is always just creepy. Yeah, Vecna's creepy. Then it goes into like the lesser idols and like lesser yes. beings that are so extremely powerful in the world and at first okay i love this it goes over these things called the arms of the betrayers which are basically uh weapons made by like the evil gods and given to champions that they chose and these weapons are like sentient beings they're created with the soul of certain like uh devils or uh what what's up greater fiend so like each one of, there's these eight weapons yeah that are viewed forged with the sentience of a greater fiend and like i don't know it's like i like that a lot no no yeah so then like... each each weapon has a personality of that fiend that was sacrificed and it can talk to mm -hmm. you and all these weapons are detailed in the section about uh the magic yep. items yeah but yeah but then it goes into all of the not gods per se but other beings yeah. Which is... Other powerful beings that are often, like, in the worshipped or followed and things like that. I love this. Okay? <laughs> because nobody ever talks about patrons for the warlock. Nobody does that. And now he's mm. detailed, like, what, like, ten of these cool characters and what warlock patron archetype they fit. And it's, like, so dope. I like it a lot. <laughs> Because, <laughs> um, you know, there's other beings like uh, Ukatoa, 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 um, who's the patron of one of the characters on Critical Role. Um, what is a little weird is that one of these patrons is called the Traveler, um, but in Critical Role, the character who follows the Traveler is a cleric, and clerics follow gods. Warlocks follow patrons, clerics follow gods. But, you know, screw that distinction. <laughs> um, also, what I just found out, which is really what blew my mind. If you're a fan of Critical Role and you listen to the first season, in the first season, they go to the Feywild. Gabe, did you ever get to the part where they go to the Feywild? Yeah, yeah. So they meet this character who, as at first, it seems to be a satyr who's really weird. And he writes, he has a drawing book, and he, he's, a really, he's just a weirdo. And they take him, they take him with them. 
Later on, he reveals himself to be a powerful Archfey Lord who was playing tricks on them the whole time. And he helped them with something in exchange for them creating a door for him to enter the mortal world. Apparently, that guy is the Traveler. And when I found this out, it blew my mind. That's sick. Right? Right? That's the best thing That's ever. That's pretty sick. Yeah. Matt Mercer's a genius. Anyway, so he goes through these things, and they're all pretty different and cool. There's like the Hag Mother and a giant Leviathan, um, and Vesh the Bloody Siren, um, which just sounds like something a, you know, a British bloke would say to like insult his sister. <laughs> um, all right. The, all right. Let's get on to one of my favorite chapters. Chapter 2, Factions and Societies. Yo, if we ever get rich in the, like, the near future, we need to get David Attenborough to, like, do one of these episodes. Oh my gosh. If we get a David Attenborough feature... <laughs> Bro, what if he does, uh... Ah, uh, what's... What's the thing called where you can, like, pay a celebrity and they'll, like, read something for you? Oh, uh, uh... Cameo. Cameo. We should pay Edinburgh to read the entire, to do a whole podcast episode with us. Uh, <laughs> that would be the best thing ever. He, like, doesn't know anything about D&D. He's like, um, okay. All right. Just, just, David, just read the script. Because <laughs> we follow a script, a detailed script, guys. I don't know if you know this, mm -hmm. but for every podcast episode, we detail every word we say is plotted out and scripted. We also detail our facial reactions as we read these things. Yeah. So that even though you can't see, it's there. Yeah, you, you, know? you hear it. You hear the subtlety, the inflections of her voice. Changes mm -hmm. ever so slightly by the way we shape our face and our mouth when we say these fully scripted and detailed out words. And yeah, we, we plan out each individual bead of sweat yeah. that drops down our forehead. Yeah. Just kidding. If mm -hmm. we actually had a script for these, we wouldn't. Uh, keep deviating and making dumb jokes. Okay. Um, let's talk about these factions and societies. Starting off with my least favorite thing about the book. What is it, Gabe? The Dwendalian Empire. They're kind of rude. I... Okay. So basically, this is my least favorite part about the world. There's this thing called the Dwendalian <laughs> Empire which is just, like, a big empire in Western Wynandir. It is, like, ruled by humans, but it's not, like, exclusively humans. There's tons of all kind of races in it. Yeah. Um, it is the most boring thing in the world. Um, if you're thinking of a basic fantasy empire, you're thinking of the Dwendalian Empire. There is yeah. nothing, really, that is, makes it unique or fresh Compared to all the other factions detailed in this chapter and in this world, I mean, there's like the Kryn Dynasty is so cool and unique, and there's so many interesting and fresh concepts and the way that he twists Drow and does a new take on, you know, goblinoids and all that kind of stuff is so mm -hmm, cool. Mm -hmm. And then there's like pirates and cool stuff, and the Dwendalian Empire is so boring. Basically, the coolest thing about the Dwendalian Empire is its connection to another yeah. cooler faction, the Cerberus Ascension. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, but that's not, like, even, that's the, just the cool it's not <laughs> even the same faction. 
Yeah, so I, I, I can't even say anything about it because it's so basic. Okay, I'm getting a little tense here. I'm sorry. It's, yeah. It's not like it's, like, egregious or anything. No, it's no, just no. Like, it's just boring. It's just boring. It's yeah. just basic. And, and, like, I don't know. So what is cool about this is obviously, like, in this war, he's create, uh, Matt Mercer created a world where you can kind of choose your side or, you know, play both sides or whatever. And there's, it's very morally gray, right? There, there's no clear distinction of who's the good guys, who's the bad guys or whatever. Mm-hmm. But to me, it kind of seems like he's saying the Dundalian Empire are the bad guys and the Kryn Dynasty are the good guys. Do you get those vibes? Yeah. I get them. It might vibes. not look like, look like that like at like first glance. Like, yeah. Oh, the Dundalian Empire is, you know, so... What around the good rule, the strong leader. I don't yeah. know. No, but it, mm. that's what irritates me a little bit is like... He's kind of like he thinks he's playing you because well, I don't I can't put words in his mouth. Sorry, but it kind of appears <laughs> it kind of appears like um, it's like the Dudel Emperor at first glance seems like it's the good empire because the Green Dynasty has Drow and Orcs, but actually you know what I mean. And though yeah. it's never clear that the Dudel Empire like which one is good or evil, they both have things that are morally you know good or, or you know whatever. But nah, the Dudel Empire just does kind of seem like the bad guy, and I would too. Making the bad guy because they're definitely not as interesting as the Kryn. So, um, <laughs> what they do do well with this faction and with all the others is they lay out after they describe like what the faction is, what they're about, like their history. Is they describe their goals, like their current goals, like what is the yeah. like goal of the empire and the people in leadership, like what are they trying to do, like through their politics, through their warfare, through their customs, things like that. And then it goes through their relationships with like other factions, other yeah. places, you know. Yeah, this is this is That's really cool. nice, really nice. Um, having the goals of a faction, it's weird how simple that is, but how important that is. Um, because you can come up with the coolest faction, and like you know they're made up like an order of cool ninja things, and like you're like this is the dopest thing, but if you put that in your world and the players don't understand their purpose and like what they want to even do it doesn't matter yeah it seems simple and obvious but i don't know i feel like a lot of people forget that like you know factions and societies and things like need actual goals <laughs> and motivations mm-hmm. like america's goals are very clear and laid out where we want to get more oil more oil uh uh, we want to get more fat, um, and we want to get more white. There we go. Right? See how easy this is? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, then it goes to... Boom. World building, so easy. Figures, figures of interest, uh, just like important figures in the government. Um, little mm-hmm. blips on them. Um, which... There are a lot here. <laughs> There's a lot for each faction, actually. Yeah. Uh, um, definitely a lot for Dwendalian Empire and Queen Dynasty because like. Oh 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 oh! And I love this for each of the different like governments. It gives you like, a brief layout of the laws. Like, what are the punishments for oh, theft yes, or yes. damage to private property? Ah, oh, yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Um. But for each of these little fig- points, figures of interest kind of thing, they have their alignment and, like, their race and their stuff. Okay, Kryn Dynasty. 
Queen Dynasty is cooler. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Queen Dynasty is really unique and really mm-hmm. interesting. They were founded by elves who were like hiding underground and they crawled back up and gave up Loth and Yeah. So basically, I'm gonna like let's get into their history and stuff because it's cool and interesting, unlike the Dwindalian Empire. <laughs> um, so Dark Elves, the Drow, who everyone mm-hmm. loves. I don't know anyone who doesn't like the Drow. Um, they basically, you know, they live in the Underdark and they follow Lolf, and they're really evil and jacked up. But a like section of group of these Drow basically discovered this other deity of sorts. Uh, in this. In this book, he's considered uh, called the Luxon. This character called the Luxon. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they're considered to be a like warlock patron, like the Traveler and Ukato and stuff. Not actually in the in, in the section on the gods, um, because they're kind of mysterious. But yeah, so there's like this character called the Luxon, and we don't really know who they are. But they have something to do with like light and stuff, and and. Basically, the drow were like, he seems, or, you know, actually, yeah, the Luxon, we don't know if it's a girl or a guy or whatever, but it's like, um, the Luxon seems cool and not as evil and jacked up as Lolf, so let's follow them instead. Um, and they're like, oh, let's find some more drow and get them to follow them as well. Yeah. And then there's, like, these things called Luxon beacons, which we'll get into when we talk about the magic items. Um, can I just, like, touch briefly about how, like, the... Korean Dynasty crest looks like it's like a minimalist, like modern minimalist design. Yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> Has a nice D12 on it. Um, also, what's funny is the Dwindelian Empire crest is an owl over a crown, and there's two sheaves of wheat. <laughs> because, yeah. honestly, the one thing that makes the Dwindelian Empire unique is its fascination with alcohol. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, no, seriously. There's a bunch of towns dedicated to making a specific kind of alcohol. I mean, I, I think that's actually kind of cool in world building, and that's kind of dope, actually. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just funny that there's wheat on the crest. Um, anyway, basically, the Luxon has a thing where, like, you get reborn. These these beacons, which are like these big uh, dodecahedron objects, if mm-hmm. you die within the radius, then your soul goes I into I think it's it. like 300 miles? I... That's a lot, but I'm not sure. Anyway, if you exactly. die close to one of these things, then your soul gets sucked into it, and then when a baby is born, they get your soul, in a, in a sense. So, like, you have, like, the memories and stuff. You, like, start to unlock the memories and stuff of, the, of your past lives, which is so dope. That's so cool. So cool. Like, oh my goodness. It's just, like, don't you want to build a drow character who's, like, on their third life? And, you know, part of your character arc and stuff is, like, you getting the memories of your past things and... Like, as story points, and, like, finishing their vendettas or, like, fixing their mistakes or whatever of your past lives. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so interesting to me. Once again, Quinn Dynasty's mm-hmm. awesome. Basically, they came up to the surface, these drow, and they settled in uh, eastern Wynandir in an area called Zorhas. Uh, Jor? Jorhas. Is it Jorhas? Jorhas. I think so. Um, and they kind of teamed up with a bunch of, like, goblinoids. So, like, there's orcs and goblins and bugbears and stuff that are all kind of on their side. But the drow mm-hmm. are the, the main leaders. Uh, Wait, I don't know if it's, it's, it's. I don't know if I read it or not, but like, is uh the, Dandelion Empire like, Chris like Kryn Dynasty? What I'm saying, is it still like? 
women like in powers it's still like matriarchal matri- i don't know i don't know if they really describe it but yeah because drow is is uh a matriarchal society um yeah i don't know actually there is re- it's ruled by a queen so maybe they still have some of that kind of stuff but i think probably not because the point of that was because of like lol you know what i mean yeah drow society yeah. was matriarchal because of they followed lol but i don't know it's just something I wonder because like that's like an important part of like the distinction yeah. between that between drow and like other societies. And to my knowledge, I'm pretty sure their laws are a lot more lax, like the fines and and the the punishments and stuff. Though, I'm not completely sure. Um, maybe. Anyway, <laughs> random. Cool, yeah, and then this is like, they go through the characters and, and whatever, okay. So those are two big, two big nations that are at war. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, they're at war because of, like, a couple things. But one of them is that the Kryn are trying to get these Luxon beacons, which help them, you know, pass on their spirits and stuff. Yeah. And they think that once they get the Luxon beacons, they'll be able to awaken the Luxon or whatever, or empower him or something. And the Dwindelian Empire is, like, stealing them or something. Once again, making it look like the Nolan Empire is the bad guys and the Cardassians are just the victims. And whatever. Okay. But there's a war going on. Um, I'm just like wondering about like the uh, morals of like forcing yourself to be reborn in a child's, like taking over a child's body. Like you're so... I... Yeah. Well, you don't take them over, but anyway it's, it's a little Be- yeah it's it's but that's like a cool thing to explore and stuff you know what i mean mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what makes the dynasty cool is there's a lot of interesting cool things about them um and the best character by the way on their council thing is like an old goblin lady and she's the best um <laughs> <laughs> okay anyway next up the cerberus assembly mm-hmm this is the cool part of the Dundalian Empire. Yeah. And it's not the Dundalian Empire. <laughs> yeah, it's a different faction, but it's very connected. Mm-hmm. So basically, it was created because of a, like, a faction battle between these two different factions of like arcane wizards. There's like this big battle in the capital, and then the king was like, oh, don't do that. You guys must serve me. And so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah <basically laughs> Sorry, it's just, I don't know why I like giving dumb explanations. It's, it's this order of mages and wizards mm-hmm. that's kind of secretive, and they work alongside the crown of the Dwellin Empire, but there's like mm-hmm. lots of intrigue, and like they both kind of want to eventually take over the other person. Um, both factions don't really trust each other, and they're just kind yeah. of like waiting and building up things until they kind of fight each other essentially um the Cerberus assembly is evil uh and bad and they do lots of bad experimentations and their assassins are very evil and basically everyone on their leading council is evil um the Cerberus assembly is evil by the way um but they're cool they're like a bunch of secretive mages and stuff. yeah playing the long game to try and take yeah. over things and, you know, they're kind of, they have a hand in the working of the Empire, and they're kind of, you know, like, channeling funds into their own things, and kind of, you know, setting up 
it, that, that, it's really cool. I really like the concept that, like, if you want to run a campaign in the Empire, that, you know, a lot of the intrigue has to do with, like, rooting out Cerberus Assembly spies or all that kind of stuff. That's really interesting to me. Um, yeah. Also, Ooh, I like the title of, like, their leader. What is it? Archmage of Civil Influence. Archmage of Civil Influence, that's sick. Yeah, also, all his titles... Matt, Matt loves his titles, and they're all pretty dope. <laughs> um, real quick, going back to the Kryn Dynasty, I forgot about the coolest thing about them, is that the derogatory term to explain, to talk about a drow, specifically from the Kryn Dynasty, is Krik. Because the Kryn Dynasty, they have, their soldiers have armor with these hooked tubes on them. And so when they run, the wind goes through the tubes and sounds like whistling. And when there's a huge army of them running forward, like charging down a hill... It sounds like a bunch of crickets. So they're called cricks. And that's the coolest world building thing ever. Yeah, don't you just love slurs? Yeah. But anyway, I just think that's really cool. <laughs> just just world building wise. I just think that's really cool. Mm. Okay, sorry. Next faction. <laughs> Alright, I remember one time we were talking. And we were talking about crick, like the term crick, mm. and they were like, "Wait, I just want to check. Like, I don't know. It feels like it's a slur in real life too. Like, it yeah. feels like sometimes, like, I don't know. I called him like a crick or something because we were both like watching the role. Yeah, we got to that point. I don't know. Sorry, weird tangent. Sorry, you're lagging a bit. Yeah, you too. Okay, Clovis Concord, next faction. <laughs> These are basically the guys who rule the uh, Menagerie Coast, which is the neutral <clears throat> party in the south, a group of islands and a, and coast. Um, it's basically like a group of different ports, and all the, por the leaders of the various ports kind of work together and make up the... Yeah, they form sort of a republic. Yes. Essentially. Um, it's cool. It's just a group of ports and stuff, and I love a uh, coastal, tropical, pirate kind of, you know, I, I, really, I really love those, that genre of things, and so, yeah. But mm -hmm. they, they're kind of boring. It's kind of like merchants and stuff. and Yeah, whatever. they want to keep trade and commerce going, basically. Yeah, they just, yeah, yeah they're, they're, yeah, basically. Okay, <laughs> uh, next is in the Myriad. The Myriad Lad. Um, which, this is cool because this is a connection also back to the Tal'Dorei world, which is what the first critical campaign was played in. Um, the Myriad are all over the world of Exandria, which is really cool. They're basically like the biggest criminal faction. Yeah, they take like the people who feel like society has failed and then turn them into criminals. Yeah, and they're just a <laughs> big criminal network. Um, so they're cool because it's a criminal network of spies and assassins and Crime is cool, kids. Yeah, guys, crime is really awesome. Okay. I forgot about this one. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> uh, they don't really talk about this in the uh, campaign, as far as at least as far as I got. I, by the way, right now they're over 100 episodes, I believe, into the second campaign. I think I've only listened to about 70-something. Nah, maybe 80. No, I listened to like 30, I think. Nah, maybe 70. Uh, but so 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 far, none of this stuff has come up. Children of Malice. 
are the group of drow who follow Lolf. And so they're trying to get revenge on the group of drow who follow the Luxon, which is the Kryn Dynasty. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's it. Um, and they, they're cool. They're just like a creepy cult who's trying to infiltrate the Kryn Dynasty and take down the drow. Oh my goodness, I've watched like a lot of things on cults recently. It's pretty crazy. Really? Do yeah. you watch that documentary on Scientology? Um, I've watched some of it. But basically it takes like, on average, like three to four days to like brainwash a normal human being. Like it takes a cool, like, on average. That's terrifying. Yeah. Goodness. Uh... <laughs> Cults are crazy, and this one's yeah. no exception. Cults are, cults are crazy, but that's not the craziest cult in this world. Uh, that wasn't actually a segue into this next This next one isn't a cult, but there are cults <laughs> later on that we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, the Diarchy of Uthodorn. 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 Wait. Uthodorn. 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 Wait, what? Uthodorn. Uthodorn. No, that's insane. Uthodern. Uthodern. Okay, what are <laughs> One of those. One of them. <laughs> uh, I don't know much about this. I didn't read too in depth about okay. this one. Yeah, this is boring. I also don't like remember a lot. I read it, but I don't remember a lot about it. Basically, somewhere in the world, kind of near the center, there's like a mountain range, and there was this group of elves that got kicked out of this jungle or something, and so then they moved into the mountains where they met with these dwarves. Um, in a dwarven kingdom called Uthodorn. And um, so then they took in these refugees, and it seemed like the elves weren't going to go anywhere anytime soon. So then they made a pact, and now they it's like a dwarf and elven kingdom in the mountains, and they rule together. Mm -hmm. That's why it's a diarchy. Um, whatever. They, it doesn't really feature in the campaign as far as I had gotten. Um, there's nothing super interesting about it to me. Um, but it's yeah. cool, like, elves and dwarves working together. It's kind of different. But there's nothing standout, really interesting or unique about it. Now opinion. we get to a cooler one. Yeah. The tribes of Shady Creek Run. One of my favorite plot lines involved these guys uh, in the second campaign. Yeah. So it's basically like rival criminal families, like rival mafias, you know? Yeah. Like ruled like each at the center of each is like a family and they're all relatives. And the people who are like their employees and stuff are still considered to be within the family. So as long as they remain loyal, you know. Yeah. yeah. So they went all Godfather up in there, uh, and they talked about the different families and different like houses in it, and like what they like specialize in, what they do to like earn a living in their criminal yeah. enterprises. Yeah. This is super nitpicky, but I would have rather they called the families of Shady Creek Run because tribes sounds very archaic. Um, yeah. But they're more like really like mafia families um and that would have given me the vibe yeah. that's really nitpicky but um a shady creek run is like a swamp basically like this marshland in the north um where all these where all these dudes hang out all these families fight for money i guess okay it's cool it's like criminal stuff um you know mafia stuff there can be cool adventures and campaigns kind of set in there um so that's dope that's tight. Alright. Next is the Library of the Cobalt Soul, which is basically this group of monks and scholars 
and people who seek knowledge and seek to like better the people and increase the amount of knowledge that everyone knows and try and just get as much knowledge as they can. So they might operate the kind of not like they're tied to certain government or anything, but Space and Rexentrum and operates all throughout the Empire. Uh, and now it's like these different like temples. It's basically like following the teachings and scriptures of Ion, the knowing mentor. It's like a, one of the gods. Yeah. And all the teachers, priests, and monks have been like drawn towards trying to find like the truth and finding knowledge. Yeah. And they spend their lives like training. Basically, yeah, it's like a lot of monks and things like that. Mm-hmm. There's even like a subclass like the Cobalt Monk, but that's not in this book, right? Not in here, no. What is it from? I don't. Because there is a subclass about the Cobalt Monk, but what is that from? I don't. Is it the Teldori huh. guide? Maybe. Monk of the Cobalt Soul. Yeah, well, it's I'm gonna soul. look it up. Cause no, that was totally. I totally know what you're talking about. It's it's definitely a thing. This is just something the math. Release? Uh, where did it come from? Okay, whatever. Anyway, but there's a monk subclass somewhere you can find somewhere, I hope. Uh, about monks from the Cobalt Soul. Basically, yeah, due yep. to one so knowledge then, and stuff. Yeah, they want to like regain knowledge that was lost in the Calamity, which is like the big world changing event, and they just want to protect against that. Yeah. So getting all the knowledge in the world. Uh, okay, Claret Orders, uh, an order of blood hunters, which is like a custom class Matthew Mercer made that has to do with dudes who use... Wait, you like... skipped one. Oh, did we? Scars of Scale and Tooth. Oh. That didn't even exist it. Yeah, so... Also, there's like a weird... Erudite Dragon Bloods. Yeah. There's like cool. Dragonborn subplot. Um, there's like two tribes of Dragonborn. There's the ones with tails called the Draken Bloods, and then there's ones without tails called the Ravenite. And the Ravenites were like the other one's slaves for a really long time. Um, but then the Chromoclon Cave came, which is like this tribe of big group of powerful dragons. And they destroyed everything. They were killed by the heroes of the last campaign. Whatever. Basically, now the Ravenites outnumber the other dudes. And now they've kind of taken over. And it's just like a little squadron of the remaining dragonborn, basically. Um, they're cool, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, sorry. Now the Claret Orders. Now the Claret Orders. You wait, 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 you talk first, I talk first. You talk first, I talk first. You talk first. Claret Orders are a bunch of blood hunters. Um, which is Matthew Mercer's class, like I was saying. Um, which is basically like uh, emo dudes who cause bodily harm to do things. Um, you know, if you ever want to... If you have like a e-boy in your party and he wants to slit his wrist to deal damage uh, in D&D. <laughs> That's what a blood hunter is. Um, Claret Orders, yeah, a group of blood hunters. Basically, they're like witchers, essentially. Um, they're literally actually just w- witchers. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, now onto the best faction. The Golden Grin? Mm-hmm. They smile. They have yellow teeth next <laughs> no the golden right. grin are yeah yeah go ahead it's like a hidden society of like muses storytellers bards that kind of thing like entertainers and like it's a hidden society they all have like pledges to uphold 
and it'll like work. Yeah, they like they they, they spread like joy happiness. and peace. Yeah, and like they they plant seeds of rebellion in like places where there's like tyrants and they're just like really dope nice people who are like entertainers and they like so like they have like mm -hmm. a disguise and a means of an excuse to travel the world and stuff. Um, but do great yeah. things. They're kind of like that's um, pretty cool. The bard version of the White Lotus Society from Avatar: The Last Airbender, um, which in, if you don't don't know, it's just literally just a group of old dudes, old men, um, from all different walks of life and stuff, and they're just trying to protect the world uh, secretly in the secret society. Um, and because there, there's like dudes from all different nations and stuff, all these old guys. It's the best thing in the world. Um, okay. Golden Grin. Yeah, really cool. Some notable characters. Shakasta. One of the best NPCs ever. Um, he's at the, the beginning. You remember him? He's the black dude with frizzy hair and he has that Yeah. Voice. I think also, the name reminds me of like... Lacosta and Shaquille. Mixed. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I'm just picturing someone that I know. Her name's like Lacosta, and picturing Shaquille O'Neal, like mixed together. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, also, Doctor Dranzel from the first campaign is also part of the. Hey. Uh, who's literally half orc Doctor Dre. <laughs> okay, what's next? All right, last one I think. Yeah, last one is the Revelry. Uh, like their allies within the Clovis Con, Clovis Clovis Concord. Uh, they're and they're allies. pirates, right? They're not allies. They're the opposite of allies. They're the enemies what? of the Clovis Concord. Yeah, but like they have allies. I'm I'm reading from the description. <laughs> yeah, but it says the revelry's allies within the Clovis Concord will tell you that they turn to piracy because of the Concord's excessive taxes and unjust laws. But they're Sorry, not. yes, it's fine. they're pirates. They're pirates. <laughs> that separated from the Clovis Concord. Yes. Because they didn't like it. Yes. Um, My bad. No, that's good. And, and... Free folk of the sea. Pirates, they have like a base in like this island. Yeah. They steal. Intimidate. Yeah, and they're, and they're cool. And they're led by a dude who's, by the way, the leader of the revelry... The title is The Plank King, which is the best thing in the world. The Plank King? <laughs> the Plank King. That's like a Spongebob character. Um, it sounds like a title that kids would come up like, like for like a playground. Like a playground. Like some kid like jumps off a plank on like the, tr the tree house or something. And like, ah. Oh, you are the Plank King. Plank King. <laughs> um, it's, no, it's great. So... The plank, the current plank king, is this massive male Goliath who's literally wearing wearing the scalp of the last plank king, and his name is Wyatt Marinos. Like he has the most basic name, but he's a really interesting <laughs> Goliath. Um, okay, remember how I said cult? There's also a very little section. Does not go into much detail as each of these other factions of three other little cults in the um the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, one following Vecna, I believe. Yeah, one following the Tiamat, and the other one's following Eldritch Horrors. Mm -hmm. The ones you call, uh... 
They call Cthulhu. Oh, just horse daddy. Yep. Uh, yeah. They call up Cthulhu like, hey, daddy. Right, so I'm now sorry. We're gonna go into the, I know we, we've been going so long, you guys. Uh, I don't even know how I possibly thought that this we could get this whole book done in one episode. I don't know why I thought that. I'm stupid. This is definitely a two-parter. Um, but now we're going to move into the section, chapter three, The Gazetteer, which, you know, once again, is the third of the book and is going to be the shortest section we're going to talk about. Because we can't possibly talk about everything here, so we're just going to give you an idea of what's in it. Yeah, like very, very... Because there is so much. <laughs> All right. So it breaks them down first by, like, what, like, area of the land it is, region. like, whether it's, like, yeah, the Nantry Coast, East or West Menandir, the region. Yeah. And then it goes, like, to each individual, like, area within the region. Yeah. Like, the Baron Shores, Besaf Isle, Broken, yeah. like, these different, like, cities in it. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, cities, like, settlements, yeah. all sorts of places. Forest, and then it describes... Diamonds. Yeah. And for, like, the, like, settlements, it describes, like, alright, what percentage of population is human? Tabaxi, war, yeah. blah, 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 blah. What's the government like? What are the defenses like? Commerce. Organizations. And then, like, hmm, here's a possible uh, adventure that you could do in this yeah. settlement. So this is something and he did And here's what level the... will be good for. Yeah, here's something he did for the Taldore guide. Um, which was that he... For some for, for some locations, you know, basically basically every settlement has one of these, but also forests or mountains or whatever. He gives sample adventures, just like basically just kind of the hook of the adventure, mm -hmm. and the level that would be appropriate. Yeah. But it's not like a full-on a couple sentences like adventure hook like this might be good yeah. for like low levels, and here's what it yeah. could be started off of. You know? Yeah. So cool. Um, I like it. I love it. This is exactly what a campaign says. Love. Okay? Because once again, you know, this for D&D, just for running a campaign, it's cool that it's a cool world, and I and it's cool that you're detailing every single tree in the forest. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> you know, I want, I want to know how I can run a campaign here. And there's a lot of cool information here, and certain, you know, certain DMs are, who you know, are really creative, they can look at this stuff and just come up with ideas and adventures from their own, you know, inspired by these descriptions of these locations and such. But not everyone's like that. And it's just cool to have, a, like, a ton. There's a ton of these little adventure hooks. They're all pretty different. Mm -hmm. Some of them are connected to factions. Some of them are connected to, like, whatever, like, cults or gods or whatever, which is really cool. Each of them help in explaining more world-building and, and showing off some aspect of world building while also having some cool adventures and stuff. There's definitely some which are very filler and are pretty boring hooks and stuff. But for the most part, I found that each of most of them are pretty unique and interesting and cool. Um, and yeah, I like that they like, lay it out like for each like individual place. Like, here's like one or two like for this place. Here's another one for this place. Just like, if you're someone who like yeah. likes to have something to work off of. And then your player is like, oh, okay, we're going to go over to this place. What do we find in this town? Okay, okay, okay. briefly I'll look over here, see what the population is made up of, what the government's like, commerce, what organizations are there. And then like, hmm, okay, here's some adventure ideas. Yeah, it's so great. It's just really cool. I'm sorry. Yeah. I keep remembering things, though. Sorry, real quick. Going back to Chapter 2 on the factions and organizations, real quick. Um... One thing that I think is missing, um, 
I don't think this is super necessary, but it would have been really cool to have, which is something that the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica has. Um, something really unique about that world is that it has 10 different guilds, and they're all very different, and they all have their own goals and relationships, just like these factions. But they also all have um, these renowned systems. So if you're part of this mm. guild, and you this is laid out in Dungeon Master's Guide, basically, like if you join a faction, you can get renowned by completing missions for them and stuff. And the higher renown you get, you get access to not only like a new rank and like a new title within that faction, you also gain access to benefits. And in the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, it's really dope. For like, you know, once you get to this much yeah. renown... So you mean you... like... Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, go ahead, go ahead. You can like do this within... Like you have this position within the faction and you can get access to this. Yeah, like you can call on soldiers. Yeah, I really like you that. You get access to a magic item. You now have a flying dragon mount or whatever that's gifted to you from the faction. And that it would have been nice to have that for each of those main factions, at least just the main ones uh, in this one. Um, just a little table of how much, you know, wh when you get to this renown, you get this uh, rank title and these benefits. Mm -hmm. um, that would have been a really, that just would have taken it, I think, to, to the next level and, and just made it that much more cooler. Um, but anyway, yeah, we don't have much to say about the Gazetteer. I, I really like it. It's laid out really nice. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like a thing where you go for it when you need it, you know, like, yeah, like, okay, we're going to go to this place. Let's go see what this place is about. Yeah, gives like maps and stuff. It's nice, too. Oh, yeah. For like the but there's city. like so much here. Yeah, there's so much here. <laughs> there's so much. Um, it's just it's really cool. So much. It's just it's such a rich yeah. world. Um, yeah, but once again, it, we can't really get into the details because. Uh, there's no point. None of it is going to be helpful to you, you know. Mm -hmm. But there's just lots of little great, also little juicy world-building things. Like, there's a section on the different herbs from a specific location and what they do, like, mechanically-wise. And there's another one about, like, a section on the different um, wines. A couple different wines made at this particular settlement and, like, what they do. Like, it's just so cool. It's so dope. Um, yeah, it's great. But, yeah. but it's very detailed. I found, like, they have this, like, random encounter table, like, for this one place, and uh, I believe this is in the north, yeah. And Elacross, I don't know. Is across? Whatever. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, like, more, like, campaign ideas and, like, little, like, things that can happen to the players. Yeah. It's just, it's really cool. But... Yeah, don't, like, read through all of it. You're just going to forget everything. But, like, just go to it when you want, you know, when you need that lo information about the location or whatever. Um, or if you're just, like, looking for a little bit of, like... Inspiration. You know, just ideas to work off. Yeah, yeah. inspiration. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, also, what, just, what takes us to the next level is just... For each main city, there's a, literally a map of the city. And, a, a, mm -hmm. you know, the points of interest within the city. Like, the different squares or whatever. I mean, that's just really next level and amazing. Um, yeah, and they break down like what crime is like in the city. It goes just more into depth for like the big settlements and cities. It just goes more in depth yeah. for those things that we were talking about. Like mm -hmm. instead of just like, oh, the government is they follow a governor. It's like okay, like what the what is the governor like? You know, like yeah, what's the rulings like? What is crime like? Yeah. Um. Okay, so yeah, so there's all this cool Sick. stuff in here. Um, so, real, real quick, 
because this is basically a big section just like on the world and the details of the world and stuff. So, the world itself, Wildmount, is not tied to a very specific and standout theme or genre. Mm -hmm. um, compared to like Theros or Ravenloft or whatever, which is very much tied to a specific theme and genre, right? Um, this is much more of a classic D&D &D world. Yeah, it's got a mixture of all sorts of things from, oh, you want a pirate campaign? You can do it on the Menagerie Coast. Oh, you want a political intrigue campaign? You can do it neither of the uh, big forces. You can play like a war campaign. You can yeah. just do Monster it like hunting. an adventuring campaign. Yeah. yeah. There's um, all so sorts of different things. Yeah. It's, it's just a very nice and it's just meant to be like a yeah a place where you can go and find all sorts of D&D experiences yeah which is cool but I think there's a place for both kinds you know I, yeah. I, I want I like worlds where there, I, there's so much variety and I can play any kind of campaign I want and that's really dope and that's what this is and it's really cool but I also do like worlds that have a very specific and central theme and genre that's very strong because in something like this, it can get a little muddied, and sometimes, like, what I've found is in the second Critical Role campaign, the world is just kind of all, not all over the place. It is nice and organized and lo logical and stuff, but, yeah, I don't know, there's just not something I can really, like, point to. You know, that's really, like, a, a feel of the world. To me, Wildmount doesn't really evoke any particular feeling or mood. Does that make sense? Whereas like Ravenloft is like that's horror, and that's suspense, mm -hmm. and like I understand that, and I know like what I'm getting into. But once again, I think both have their own place, both kinds. Yeah, I think there's place for both. It matters more like what you're looking for. If you want like just like a general setting where you can take the information that you're given here, and the resources that you're given here, and adapt it to do whatever kind of campaign you're trying to do, or you look for a setting that is hyper-focused on a theme, like Ravenloft, or hyper-focused on whatever it is, a topic, a way of playing your characters, a way that you interact with the world. Something that's hyper-focused, it might feel like something like, I want to fit this need exactly. You find that, it's going to give you a lot more that you're going to use. This, like with this book here the explorer's guide to wild mountain it gives you so much and if you're just like running one campaign you're probably not going to use like more than like a tenth of the information here you might just yeah. be centered in one place and even if you spend all of the campaign going and venturing around to as many different cities as you can there's so much to get through here yeah so it's really built to be able to like run several campaigns there's a lot like anyone can get yeah. something out of this yeah for sure for sure uh, i think it's a great world for new campaign uh, like new players and stuff new gms and and new players alike um one because it allows there's no restrictions on the players you can basically play any mm -hmm. race you want any class you want they all fit into the world they all make sense in the world um gms can tell any kind of story they want you know um because one thing i've mm -hmm. found when i as i'm jamming as i'm running a campaign I will have different stages of when I'm interested in different genres and, and different kinds of adventures. 
um, you know, like as you can see from Gabe from some of our campaigns, like we've gone through, through stages of like intrigue focused things, very adventurous monster slaying things, treasure hunting stories, you know, like things. Because I just go through stages mm -hmm. of like I want to kind of tell this kind of story. I'm inspired by a certain thing or whatever at that time, and that works just really well in in this. Um, for for Jim who who doesn't want to be tied down to a very specific genre theme or whatever, and wants to kind of just tell all kinds of stories, um, works really well for um for this world. Um, but gosh darn, is yeah. this gazetteer detailed and and nice and juicy? <laughs> There is a lot to get from it. Like, yeah, for sure. It must have been so hard to try and like make sure that you make each place unique enough. Yeah. To. I mean, so much work. Uh, but yeah, like you were saying, there's so much here. You can play like three di campaigns in here, and they can all be different. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, you'll may never visit the same location in, in any of those, just because there's so much, and that's just really awesome. All right, that's uh, this episode, I guess, because uh, next one we're doing... Um... Yeah, I think it's a good place to end it. Got through a lot. This is a long episode. <laughs> and long there's episode. still so much to go. Yeah, we still have like half the book left to go. Um, and we're going to get really really into some stuff I'm really excited about. Like, the rest of the stuff in this book is so awesome. <laughs> the races and the subclasses <laughs> and the spells, the new spells, mm -hmm. and the magic items... And the monsters, yes, and, the and, items. And the adventures, guys. There's still so much left in this book. I would not be surprised if we pushed it into a three-parter. Um, all right, I think that brings us to the end of this episode, though. All right, you have made it this far. I don't even know how long this episode is, but it's been a long one. If you made it this far, congratulations. You have more patience than most of America. Uh, <laughs> next. If you're a fan of Critical Role, listening to this was a breeze. You're like, dude, every Thursday I listen to a, I watch a four-hour stream. I think <laughs> an hour and a half podcast I can make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the first campaign from Critical Role is over like three. I don't. An insane amount. About. It's like two. So if you're a fan, you're probably used to it. I think it's the whole Naruto series twice. <laughs> yeah, and oh I've listened to the goodness. whole first campaign. Um, so, because my little brother, he watched all of Naruto and he was flexing. I watched a gazillion episodes of Naruto. I'm like, dude, I listened to that twice over. Um, okay. Anywho, uh, I'm really excited about this this next section. I'm just really happy about what's happened with Critical Role and their new animated TV show and stuff, and it's just really awesome because both of us have been a part of the community for a really long time. Um, and, you know, we just love the show and we love the people, and, you know, the fact that Matt Mercer got his own world published as an official D&D &D world and stuff is just so cool. Mm -hmm. It'd be great if we came up with, like, a, like a slogan, you know, like, the fan slogan, like, oh, is it Thursday yet? Oh, th that's But maybe for us, it's like, oh. is it Tuesday already? <laughs> just, like, that tinge of disappointment. Right. Right, right, right. That's our, that's our, that's our <laughs> D20 Academy podcast. Uh, yep, that's us. Is it Tuesday already? <laughs> it, I don't know, it doesn't have the same ring as Tuesday. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so guys, once again, Instagram at D20 underscore Academy, Discord, YouTube, cool stuff there. Um, definitely, uh, I'm going to be launching, uh, I'm going to be working on uh, some YouTube videos. Um, 
not just uploading podcast episodes on YouTube, but like actual YouTube videos with cool stuff in it, which I'm really hyped about. Um, mm-hmm. But and, and I am trying to get it yeah. organized where I'm looking to run one of the adventures from this book. That it's going to be a couple sessions, run with some friends, and if everything goes right, we're going to record it and put it out there for you guys. Yeah, that's oh, that's so cool. I'm really excited about that. Um, we've been talking about doing an actual play for a long time, um, mm-hmm. but it's hard. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it, and having you know, not launching into a full campaign, but just running a little three to four session adventure, just to kind of test it out, see how see how it will work and stuff. I think it's going to be nice. Um, and hopefully, you guys can kind of see, um, well, I think it's going to serve two purposes. One, to see how we play and learn from that and everything. Um, but also, it's to exemplify all the cool things from this uh, this book here. So all of us are going to yep. be creating characters. See very, it all come to life. We're going to be creating characters very specific to this book. We're going to be choosing the subclasses in this book and stuff. And, um, so hopefully soon, not too uh, after uh, we do this review, so... Wild Mount is still fresh in your guys' minds. We'll upload these episodes. Um, once again, we're trying to play with people who are live in various states and time differences. And, you know, we're all going to have to be recording on our own ends. And editing is going to be hell for me and stuff. But, so it's, it's going to be kind of a little difficult. We can't make any promises if this is going to happen or not yet. Just to see how things go. But, hopefully. Yeah, we have plans. Yeah, and we'll be able to use these cool magic items and the, the heroic chronicle thing. All, all this cool stuff in this Yes. Um, Which we're going to get into next episode. Yeah, so look forward to that, part two of this, uh, next week. Uh, and until then, into Tuesday already. Tuesday already. <laughs>